Night Vision Astronomy with special guest Dale Eason on episode 295 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And today we are discussing night vision astronomy. Welcome to the show, Dale. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. And before we go too far, I have to give uh, a shout out of thanks to uh, Howard Banich, who answered our call for a night vision astronomy guest. And uh, he connected us today. And so uh, uh, just want to say it's uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show with us uh, this afternoon, Dale. Okay. I'm glad to be here and hope I can provide some interesting information about what night vision is and how you use it. Sounds good. So just as I was preparing uh, for the show today, I, I I I put on my investigative journalist hat and and I was actually talking to uh, I think another person you know who's uh, Peter Bacure. I think he's on uh, one of the ATM lists with you. And and Peter was telling me about uh, some of your your astronomy software that you've uh, created for uh, mirror testing and uh, your your SkySolve application. And then uh, as well, uh, Howard and, and somebody else to tell me about um, your Clyde Innate's contributions as, a, uh, as somebody who frequently posts about night vision and as somebody who follows the ATM stuff, I'd already seen the video of your 10-inch F3 collapsible Dobsonian. So you, you've really got a lot of different uh, irons in the fire when it comes to astronomy. It's, uh, it's going to be a really neat conversation today, I think. Uh-huh. Yes, I have uh, I enjoyed uh, doing interferometry testing mirrors and writing software to do that, as well as making various telescopes. Excellent. So as we sort of discussed in our uh, pre-show conversation, um, and so that the listeners know, Shane and I have absolutely no experience with night vision uh, astronomy or, or using night vision to do astronomy and uh, sometimes this is referred to simply as, uh, but by the letters NV astronomy. And uh, so we are really starting as like uh, beginners on this today. So with that, Dale, just going to ask you a, a get and going question, which is uh, basically uh, what is night vision astronomy? Can you just give us like a basic introduction to this topic? Sure. Uh, so night vision astronomy starts with a night vision device, which is a device that the Army uses to see at night. And um, they work pretty much like a binder scope or uh, a uh, binoculars. And they have a lens on one end, a light amplifier in the middle, and then a lens on the other end that you look through, much just like uh, binoculars. And so you can use them um, because they amplify the light about 64,000 times, you can use them to uh, see very dim things up in the sky, and you can use them three ways for astronomy. One way is you can just handhold them in, at night and look up at the sky through them, just like a telescope or binoculars, and you can put various kinds of filters on the front end, and that's how I use it a lot, because I live in uh, Bortle 7 to Bortle 8 skies, and uh, you can put filters that will filter out that uh, star uh, city starlight or, or city light pollution, and that takes out quite a bit of this, the starlight as well, but because it's amplified 64,000 times, there's still enough light left in there for you to see something, and you actually, in my location where I Visually, I can't see the Milky Way when I put that up to the sky, and we have nice transparent skies. Here I live in uh, the Twin Cities in uh, Minnesota, and we don't often have transparent skies like that. But using that, I actually see the Milky Way from my uh, suburban backyard. The other way to use it is to have it look into the telescope, just like a camera, except that you look through its eyepiece and it shows you a live view vision through the telescope. And we call that prime focus uh, night vision, just like you would put a camera into a telescope's uh, eyepiece holder. 
our focuser. The third way, which is actually the way I use it in my uh, Dobsonians, is to put a regular eyepiece in the telescope and then have it look into the eyepiece, just like you might put a cell phone camera up to the eyepiece, except there's an attachment that makes it easy to hold it onto that eyepiece. And then you look into the night vision device again, just like an eyepiece, and you see a live view. You see a live view there. So Dale, I, and I'm curious now that you've said that there's there's three ways to do it. It's kind of like um, handheld, and uh, and you can look at it through a telescope. But why why is your preferred method to uh, to use it uh, in the telescope on on top of an eyepiece? The um, in my telescope and typical Dobsonian, you know, they have a hard time focusing a camera because the camera's uh, focal plane is so far back, you can't drive your focuser in far enough to get it to focus. And, and then if you change your telescope, so that'll happen when you put your normal eyepieces in, and they won't focus. Uh, so typically, Dobsonians have that problem. Um, refractors have a lot larger focus, and you can use the night vision in uh, prime mode better for the for that. However, prime gives you a, um, a higher magnification than when you look through an eyepiece. Oh. And a lot of the night vision device, things we look at up in the sky actually are very large, several degrees in, uh, in uh, diameter. And so it's nice to get a big full view of them. And uh, a focal looking through an eyepiece helps you do that. Yeah, I was I was really interested because we we were chatting back and forth. You went back and listened to an interview we did with uh, Sky and Telescope author Brian Ventrudo uh, back in De- December, and you you picked up on the fact that that I enjoy <laughs> quite a bit doing wide field visual uh, observing of of things like Barnard's Loop or or the uh, North American Nebula and and such. And so you were kind enough to send along some of these images, which were. Uh, Pretty spectacular. How do you, mm-hmm. how did you go about taking those images? Do you just hold your cell phone up to the um, sort of to to the what is it like an like an eyepiece lens that's that's yes, in the, it has an eyepiece just on the end of it, just like binoculars do, or any small telescope has. Yeah, yep, and it even has a little focus adjustment so that nearsighted people can see it as well as farsighted people. So it works just. Uh, like I said, just like binoculars on the, the back end of it. And yes, I put up my Android phone looking right into it. And, you know, that's kind of hard to do handheld. It mm-hmm. jiggles around if you've ever tried to do that with, oh, yeah. with yeah. a telescope. But you can occasionally then get it right in the center and have it snap a picture. And it only takes one to two seconds of exposure for the uh, modern cell phone cameras and i don't have a, an iphone one but i have an old android of about five years old and it, 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 those pictures i showed you were taken with that camera however i also bought an adapter that will hold the camera right up against the eyepiece of the night vision device i don't use it that way very much because out there in the dark and on the concrete sidewalk i hate to drop my camera or drop my cell phone onto the sidewalk and the yeah. adapter isn't that great yeah mm-hmm. dale so the the photograph uh, that i'm looking at right now that you sent is is phenomenal um i'm just curious about the color does does night vision impart any artificial color it, it appears to me that it's just sort of gray you know tones of gray black and and you know brighter brighter you know sort of white tones i guess for the stars is is that how it uh typically v- views or is there other colors involved well, there are two types of phosphors that you can buy a night vision device in. One is very green, and the other they call white uh, or white phosphor. But if you actually hold it up to your eye, you see a bit of green as well. The gray image you're looking at is I actually went into Photoshop and turned it <laughs> with monochrome gray just so okay. it wouldn't bother people so much being green. A lot of people don't like the green. The reality Uh, is, when you put it up to your eye, within about four or five seconds, your brain changes it 
and it doesn't see the green anymore. It just sees a monochrome image. Just amazing how that works. Really? And if you start thinking, oh, I was looking at a green image, it might turn green again. But mostly you don't notice it at all. It just it's a monochrome image. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. And, and the image that the night vision produces, like I've, uh, I remember looking at somebody that was using a melon cam a number of years ago. And, and so the melon cam is on the telescope and they had a screen set up and you watch the screen and, you know, over time the image built as the melon cam, I think did some stacking or something like that of the images. And then within a few minutes, you had like a great view of say M42 or something like that with night vision. I think it's like real time, right? Um, like there's no building of an image or anything like that. Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And, uh, when I'm using it, uh, you slide the telescope around, you get a little smearing, um, but you don't really notice that that much. And you can actually watch an airplane fly f through the view, or I've watched meteors fly through the view. In fact, in the late fall of uh, last year, we had a nice meteor shower, and I was here. I couldn't see them visually, but when I just had the had it handheld, I was looking up at the sky, I saw meteors fly through the image about once per minute. And uh, that was a, a fun thing, something I hadn't realized would be, be so nice. Hmm. Also, when I have it uh, hooked up to my telescope, and in the early evening, I see probably a satellite for every image about every minute. I'm really kind of disappointed about how many satellites there are flying through there. And of course, they're putting up more now. But that's another story. Yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. I gotta, I gotta ask a couple of questions about, um, like how this works and like compared to regular stuff. You know, now that we're chatting, you know, we did all this back and forth leading up to this because, uh, like I said, neither Shane or I know much about it. But now that we're actually talking, I have better questions. I think so. Like I'm curious. One of the things I noticed in your photos is. Um, you, you, it looks like you put a, an eyepiece in just like a regular eyepiece. And then you, you put this, um, night vision. Um, it's like a long, it's like a long cylindrical thing. It looks almost like a, like a long thick barlow on top of the eyepiece. So it sticks out pretty far is, do I have that arrangement right before I ask my follow-up question? Yeah. Yes. That arrangement is right. You get a pretty tall stack. The night vision device itself you have an adapter that will screw it onto various lenses that have um, diopter settings in them. Teleview has um, kind of a little ridge around their eyepieces where you could put a, a diopter adapter on, on them, and this makes use of that. And it has a friction fit that you attach the night vision device to and then attach it to the uh, the eyepiece by screwing it on then on um and so to begin with the pictures you see i have a 55 millimeter teleview eyepiece in my 10 inch f3 uh telescope focuser so yep. that eyepiece itself was rather big and long and then you end up with the adapter and then you have the a night vision device down at the end of it and the night vision device itself is about as long as, let's say, uh, uh, eight by 50 binocular is long. Yeah. So it's actually rather short device, but it's at least as long as a, say, a, a 55 millimeter teleview eye, uh, eyepiece. Yeah. So, yeah, you get a big stack there and it can cause uh, weight problems. Uh, their telescope wants to move around with that mm -hmm. big stack hanging out the end but i've learned to live with it and rebalance the telescope so when you when you have that you look into it just like a regular eyepiece though correct yes yes you just bend down and look into it okay so and i noticed like like both shane and i wear glasses i have to wear glasses to observe i noticed you're a person who also wears glasses um but can you wear glasses when you look in the night vision device should you take them off does it matter? Is there any difference at all over using a regular eyepiece? I've used it both ways. The night vision device itself has a focuser that will focus to any any of your eye deformities or well, short nearsightedness and long sightedness. 
And you can also use it with glasses. The night vision device is a little bit different from an eyepiece where an eyepiece has, what do they call it? Um, high relief, that's it. Yep. Okay, so normally eyepieces have an eye, eye relief that's listed. And for some of them, we with glasses have to take our glasses off to get a close enough view. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about the night vision device is it's basically has a lens, but it's like a lens looking over a tele, uh, television screen, and it's actually a collimated view, meaning that it has no eye relief. It's an infinite eye relief that it has. That means you can actually back up and be a foot away and still see everything in that eyepiece. Now, of course, it looks smaller to you because you've backed up so far, but you actually see it all. Okay. But you really don't look at it that way. But that means that if you have glasses, you can use your glasses if you want, or you can take them off. And I do it both ways. Huh. Okay. All right. And then the other thing I have to ask, and I don't think I put this in the notes either, was you you described this as being something like, I don't know, like, was it, am I right? Like 64,000 times? Yes, it amplifies the light 64,000 times. That's a huge amount of light amp. So then I was surprised because here in our conversation, now you mentioned like looking at airplane, looking at meteor. So, I mean, sometimes like airplane lights can be pretty bright or a meteor can be bright. Um, does that brightness kind of like uh, overwhelm your eye or ruin your night vision? Or is it much like you said, like looking at a TV screen where, you know, yeah, sure, you can point a TV camera at a at a bright object, but the the TV itself is only going to go so bright and not like really overwhelm your, your eye or, or how does that work in relation to night vision? If, if you look at something really bright, like, or like if a car went by and, and the lights kind of, uh, uh, shone on your telescope a bit, would it, would it like super blind you or, or is it just like looking at a bright TV screen kind of thing? Well, that's a lot of questions there. So I'm going to try (laughs) each one. First of all, night vision devices, have either an automatic gain on them or a manual knob gain. Mine has automatic gain on it. And so when it sees something really bright, it it shuts its gain down. And so you aren't blinded by that. And in reality, airplane lights are really, really dim. Um, Now, I had never thought about it before. Perhaps they would be brighter if I didn't have auto gain, but uh, no, they aren't too bright. And... Um, um, then the second question about night uh, vision is, will it be ruined by a bright light? Well, it turns out it's ruined by the night vision device itself. Um, it's actually very bright. I haven't had it out at a dark site to understand how much it really ruins. Here in my driveway, um, I've got lights all around, so I don't get good night vision in the first place. Okay. In, in general, when you're using night vision, you don't, you may not switch back and forth. I just don't know. I haven't been out at a dark site. But what I have discovered is it doesn't ruin your night vision like looking at a really bright white light. It's more like looking at a really bright red light, and your uh-huh. night vision recovers much faster from that kind of thing. And from what little I've used and experienced, I found the night vision released returns uh, quickly. Uh, to me, at least the night vision I have from my driveway, yeah, which I have neighbor's lights right across the street from me. And down I have a street light right uh, half a block away from me. And uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but it's kind of interesting. Even in a full moon, the night vision device works where you normally, us people who like really dark sights wouldn't go out on a new moon. Mm-hmm. I can go out with my night vision and look 10 degrees away from the moon and I can find just about anything I want there just as if the moon wasn't there. Just depends on how much the moon is lighting up the night air pollution that I have. So oh, this is incredible. Um, this this really is uh, just like, I got to start writing notes. Here. I know this, this is blowing my mind actually. So, so Dale, um, I, you know, I think we'll get into the equipment that's required for NV observing here in a little bit. Um, you mentioned you use a 55 millimeter Teleview Plossel. Do you swap eyepieces throughout the night or is it you put the 55 millimeter in, you attach the night vision and then that's it. You just kind of observe that way. Or is there any 
Is there any uh, sort of benefit to swapping eyepieces? Yes, there is. And I do swap, although it's a bit of pain to do that in the dark. And we haven't yeah. talked about it yet, but that's an expensive device to drop on the concrete. Yeah. And so I have a lanyard on it that I have wrapped around uh, things to keep it from happening. But um, also when you swap, and we haven't talked anything about it yet, the real part of night vision is using different filters to get the best, uh, to get the light pollution out. But you have to use several different filters, one for seeing hydrogen alpha things and one for seeing stars. And so when you swap an eyepiece, I usually have the filter down inside the eyepiece at the end of it, mm. the two-inch filter. And so first of all, you have to take the night vision and unscrew it from the eyepiece. Then you pull the eyepiece out, take the filter off, attach it to the other eyepiece you want to use, put the night vision device, screw that back onto the new eyepiece, put that all back into the telescope and go, oh, well, where was my object? I don't have tracking. <laughs> and I just went to a higher power. What am I going to do? How do I find that? And so I tend not to do that a lot, except when I really want um, a higher view. But the problem is a higher or more higher magnification means it's going to be dimmer. And it might be too dim then, even with the 64,000 uh, view. And now the night vision might start scintillating because it doesn't see enough light. And okay. so there is a limit of so, so sort of how much magnification you use. But sometimes I go all the way up to uh, a 10 millimeter eyepiece hmm. up from the 55 millimeter. Okay, so so there's still sort of an exit pupil factor maybe to consider here, except it's probably not exit pupil. <laughs> uh, you know, it's some sort of night vision impact, but uh, that's very interesting because you know as I'm starting to do some math, you know, mathematics in my head about the cost of night vision, and you know, thinking, well, if I was able to sell all of my eyepieces and not have to worry about having <laughs> a case full of those, maybe this could work, but. Uh, very, very, uh, very interesting. Um, maybe we should just get into the gear. What do you think? Uh, um, you know, what what is all involved to to make night vision work uh, on a telescope? Well, we could talk about that, but we actually haven't talked about what night vision does. Okay, and I think that's better to talk about first. Because Sounds good. If you hear how much this, is, how expensive it is, you might go, "No, I'm not going to do that." <laughs> They'll stop listening. <laughs> 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 so why night vision is a it was a wow moment for me and how many of your listeners and you remember the very first time you looked through a telescope having not, a good telescope not having had that view perhaps of the moon perhaps of jupiter perhaps of saturn and of course my first time i ever saw saturn and i i said wow or something even more that we can't say over the radio. <laughs> and I had the same view saying with Jupiter. And when I show people the moon from my telescope, when they walk by here, I do a little, try to do a little outreach. I have never had anyone not say, wow, when they looked through the telescope at the moon. That just doesn't happen. And just remember that view that happened to you when you see any of those new things. I've been in astronomy 10 years, and I put that night vision device in my telescope, and I looked up, and I said, wow, <laughs> it was that new to me. It's just like having a whole new telescope. It makes my telescope bigger than it actually is, and it shows me objects with the right filtering that I never, ever could have seen from my driveway, my light-polluted driveway. I can see North America. I can see the veil. I can see California, I can see Barnard's Loop, I can see the Heart and Soul Nebula, I can see things that aren't even in the sky, normal pocket sky atlas. It just, I can see hundreds of them uh, during the Milky, the summer Milky Way. Nighttime or wintertime isn't a, a good uh, night view, at least here in the northern uh, uh, part of the, of the world for uh, night vision, except that it is gal galaxy season. It's not as good with galaxies, but it can make me let me see galaxies that I normally couldn't see. And uh, so um, that's why I love uh, night vision and what it does for me. And uh, 
I hope people will go look for pictures of what night vision. They're not as good as EAA can get, but you have to wait for the EAA uh, or photography images. And these are live. And you move the telescope, they move right out of the image, and you can scan the telescope around the sky. And as something else pops in, you go, oh, what's that? That's something I've never seen before. So the just just so people know, EAA is the Electronically Assisted Astronomy. Yeah. And I didn't know what the differences were really until we started communicating over email. I had tried Electronically Assisted Astronomy before, and uh, I know that some people really enjoy it, and it can be good for outreach, but it didn't really work well for me because we had the device in the telescope, and then we were sitting in lawn chairs looking at a little screen in the dark. And to me, it seemed it just didn't seem to work well for me. I'd rather either be looking through a telescope or like inside looking looking at live images streaming in. But that seemed to be kind of uh, in the middle somewhere. So with night vision, though, you're, you're right there looking in. Yes, and that's what I like about it, too. Yeah, it's uh, it's just incredible to hear you talk, Dale. You know, again, thoughts are just rolling through my brain as as we're speaking, and you know, the there's certainly a cost associated to this, which we'll get into. But as you mentioned, it makes your telescope larger in a way. You know, by increasing its uh, the you know the sensitivity towards light. Um, so that uh, is uh, just interrupt you here. How sure. much larger does it make it? People think it makes it about two times larger or even better. Really? So That's incredible. What, what if you watch on cloudy nights where there is a night vision forum out mm -hmm. there, you'll see a lot of people uh, have stopped using larger telescopes and just go to small refractors, um, but uh, small but fast refractors to do this because you have all the benefits of a large refractor or a large telescope in a small portable telescope. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing that is like very intriguing is, uh, you know, you mentioned your, your site where you do your observing is a Bortle seven or eight, and you can not only observe from a light polluted location, but you can observe during full moon, which it just, it's incredible to me that it opens up those possibilities. Um, wow. I'm just, I'm very amazed right now. <laughs> right. It's, it's almost here. like that mythical uh, cloud filter we all want. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. No, it doesn't see through clouds. But it's, <laughs> you almost and also it's, it's, it's dependent on transparency. You have to have okay. good transparency. Okay, so if your skies are typically poor or not great transparency, this might not be the best option then is what you're saying? Yes, uh, you have mm -hmm. to wait for a good transparency night. Okay. And... Um, for instance, this summer, as we all are fighting the smoke across everywhere, I was, uh, let's see, who was I, what was I looking at? Oh, I was looking up in Cygnus, and there's a thing that's called the propeller nebula by us night vision people, which looks like a, it's a um, hydrogen alpha uh, nebula, emitting nebula that looks like a t uh, someone took a picture of a rotating propeller with a digital camera that kind of bends the, the blades. And um, I was looking at that, and, and, and it's hard to find because it's not on most sky maps, uh, star maps. And I finally got, got it, and there it was, and I was looking at it, and then I wanted to use a different eyepiece, put a different eyepiece on, and I couldn't find it again. And uh, then I moved around and did some other things, and oh, there it was again. And then I took my eye away from the telescope and I looked up and there were clouds coming by. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know it. Uh, oh, wow. That's uh, that's a great story. Um, so I guess, Dale, what, what, if I wanted to do this, uh, you know, go down this path and get into night vision astronomy, um, what would be on the checklist of gear that I would need to purchase? Okay, well, you need the night vision device, mm -hmm. and there are several ways to buy it. Uh, Teleview sells one that you, you buy it and an adapter from them so that it'll attach to an eyepiece. You probably are going to need to buy a 55-millimeter Teleview eyepiece. It doesn't have to be Teleview, but you need something that the adapter will attach the device to. And that I found uh, Explorer Scientific uh, eyepieces of certain sizes work for that as well. 
Um, and so you need that, and then you need filters. The filters are key, at least to seeing through light pollution. And it isn't just your ordinary hydrogen alpha filter. It needs to be a narrow band hydrogen alpha. And I hadn't heard of those before, but they come in like seven nanometers wide or three and a half nanometers wide or 12 nanometers wide. And for the, that then really makes a sharp um, narrow filter to remove everything but that particular uh, wavelength of light. And that is the middle of the wavelength of hydrogen alpha uh, emission, uh, hydrogen alpha nebulas. And, um, and in two inch size, those are in a couple hundred dollar or more, more than that range. And mm -hmm. since the pandemic, they've probably gone up and they've been harder to find. And night division devices themselves have been harder to find. Usually what night division devices that are sold were once owned by the army and they have been then recycled back from the army. And then if you find if there are a few companies that look at them and make sure they're appropriate for night vision, that they don't have a lot of black spots in them where the sensor doesn't work anymore and that they have enough magnitude, uh, magnifying and they have enough resolution for astronomy. There's a few companies around that know exactly what to look for mm -hmm. and get you those specs. And it takes a little bit of time to get the night vision device. Usually, you, if you ordered one, they'll say, okay, when one comes through meeting those specs, we'll let you know. And that usually is, well, when I ordered mine four years ago, that took up to six weeks. And now I've heard it can take up to six months or more. Wow. But anyway, that device and that, um, that's what you need. You need several, a few little adapters and uh, a night division device and an eyepiece. And what, that's the what you would need. Sorry, Dale, what manufacturer made, uh, made your device to see Teleview makes these there's, there's a few different manufacturers. What what one do you have? Well, that's the the funny thing. I don't actually know the manufacturer, but I know the company I bought it from. And I actually bought it from the same company that Teleview buys theirs from. And I, to begin with, I went to Teleview, but I wanted a... Devices come in two types. One with a lens on the front that you can take off and one with the lens on the front you can't take off. Teleview sells the one with the lens you can't take off. And so with that one, you can only use it two ways, handheld or uh, in a focal. And I was list talking on cloudy night saying, I want to buy one. What do you recommend? And most people didn't recommend that type if you wanted all the options. And of course, I'm the kind of guy who likes all the options. <laughs> uh, in that case, it's called a Mod 3C. And the Mod 3 is a type of night vision device. And you'll find them when you go to any night vision device company, you'll find them listed. And it's, I don't really know all the specs and why they call it that, but you wanna find devices that are, they call them generation three. And that's the latest devices that have been sold for the last N number of years. I don't know how long N is, but it's five or 10 years. Um, Generation two devices are useful, but not nearly as useful and have as much gain as generation three devices. And then more than 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, there were gen one devices and people use those sometimes and go, well, it didn't do anything. Well, no, nope, it's not. They're just not appropriate for it. So you want to try to find an in generation three device, but a generation two device will be a couple thousand dollars less than a gen three but won't give you quite as good a stuff, but can give you some wow factor I've heard. I haven't looked through any of those. Yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, we, we talked about this when we were messaging because uh, apparently, and people should know this, is that um, if you're buying them, you, you can't seem to buy them cross-border, but they do seem to be available in every country. Like, for example, I don't think like uh, I can order one from a company in the States but just doing a quick Google, just with what you said here, I just looked up, um, just did a Google search. And here in Canada, right away, first hit was for a telescope store, strangely enough, that's selling uh, something called a 
um, looks like a PVS one four five one Gen three um, in a very yes. yeah PVS dash seven and PVS dash fourteens are all Gen three devices I think yep. and mine isn't a PV I think those numbers then mean what kind of housing is it in okay um, and I haven't mentioned it but it's a most people call them monocles you look for a monocle but if you if you have deep pockets, you can get two for the price of two <laughs> and put them together as a binoculars. And people rave about doing that, but I don't have those deep pockets. Yeah. Yeah. There look- uh, also, there's a company in Europe that sells them. And yes, I should go over the point that in the United States, we have laws that say you cannot export night vision devices. You can't take them out of the country and people in the country can't sell them to people outside. Not only that, I'm not supposed to allow people who aren't U.S. citizens to look through them. Oh, wow. So some definitely some policies uh, around this stuff that, uh, you know, anybody who's interested, I guess, needs to do some research to to see how they do it, uh, particularly if they're not located in the U.S., I would imagine. And for the Europeans, there is a European company called Omni, O-M-N-I, and they they post on the night vision forum on cloudy nights, and you probably can find them online. And uh, they make uh, binocular versions and uh, monocular versions of them. And uh, I was even thinking about buying from them, but because of the, uh, they're, they're much more expensive than the U.S. versions but you can get them from them. Okay. Yeah, I did, so did, find, I did find somebody in Canada and they had bought them from France and then just doing a quick search here, I can find them in Canada. So yeah, people, it's just something to be aware of. You you can get them in most countries, it seems. It's just, it looks like it's one of those devices. You have to buy it in the country of origin. There's lots of stuff in astronomy that's like that, I find though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Dale, you mentioned filters and I just wouldn't mind circling back to that. Um, who, like, is there a number of different manufacturers that make those, uh, those narrow band H beta filters or, you know, I guess, which, which ones do you have or which ones would you recommend if somebody yes, was there are several companies and there were more before the pandemic. Oh, okay. And then they became rare during the pandemic because I suppose most of them were made in, in China or, or Taiwan or the likes. Lumicron used to make some, and I don't know that Lumicron still is in business. I can't remember. I don't pay attention to brand names, mm-hmm. but I remember that some uh, vendor has gone out of business making them. But um, um, Bader makes them. Mostly the astrophotography guys know about them. Okay. Um, but in general, two-inch ones, except for um, all the hydrogen alpha ones, oh, <laughs> I think it's called Antilla, A-N-T-I-L-A or something like that. I'm sorry. I just don't remember names real well. Yeah, no uh, problem. And brand names. But uh, that's what my 3.5 wide filter is. And that one really works well uh, on the Barnard's Loop. And that picture that I have that I'm sure you'll put up on your your site, that was using the 3.5 nanometer wide filter. That one just makes all the stars disappear, um, but it can really help penetrate through the light pollution and make the uh, the vision a little bit higher contrast. But there are times when it doesn't work well, and actually that's when the transparency isn't quite so good. And I switch back to the seven nanometer uh, wide filter. And there basically there's two filters you want. You want something for hydrogen alpha and something to just get rid of the light pollution and let the stars shine through. And the, to let the stars shine through, you use a long pass infrared filter, the long pass at uh, 685 nanometers long pass filter. And several companies make those and you can find them on the net. When you put that on, the light pollution goes away. And that's what one summer when I was out of my driveway and I tied put that in and was looking handheld. I was looking off to the south, trying to see stuff in Sagittarius, but I have to walk all the way out into the street to look over my house to see that. And I walked all the way out and I was looking up through that and I went, oh crap, there's clouds coming through. And then I took the 
the night vision device down and said, no, there aren't clouds. Oh, that's the Milky Way. And that's how good the night vision device is. Have you wow. ever been out at a, at a dark site when you haven't been for a long time and you look up and go, it's early evening and you look up and go, oh, crap, clouds are coming by. And then you realize once again, oh, nope, that's Milky Way. I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> that's amazing. Very cool. Um, so I have a couple questions. We, in the, and again, um, earlier you mentioned going out when the moon is full. So to ask, what happens if you look at the moon um, or the planets with this device? And are there some objects like wide field extended objects sound good? What about clusters, galaxies, and, uh, and anything like that, planetary nebula, that sort of thing? So the device is really good in hydrogen alpha and some planetary nebula, but they have to be planetary nebula that are emitting in hydrogen alpha or just normal starlight. It's more sensitive in the infrared side, although it's not sensitive to low infrared, it's still up high in the infrared end, but it doesn't see blue at all. And so it's just terrible for reflection nebulas. You won't see them at all. If you try to put it on um, the owl, for instance, it can't see that. It has trouble with um, the dumbbell nebula and actually has real hard time with the ring nebula even. But part of this is because I'm putting it on my low resolution telescope, I'm only using my telescope most of the time at 13 power. Trying to see the ring at 13 power is a little difficult, almost doesn't show up. Mm -hmm. Then you asked about the moon. Any time the moon was at about 10 degrees of it, you start seeing a huge bright blur and it just, uh, you can't see anything through the, the telescope, uh, through the night vision device. There's also another interesting thing. I had, um, I have a filter slide that I can put in. And so you really like to switch between filters because when you put the hydrogen alpha filter in, almost every one of the stars disappears. And so if you're trying to star hop with an hydrogen alpha filter, it's almost impossible. You need to go back to the, the, uh, long pass 685 nanometer filter for that. So anyway, I had a filter slide in on my 16F5 telescope. And as I said, I have lights all around my house, not my house, but my neighbors and the like. In fact, astronomer that works at the U of M is right across my driveway and he loves to keep all of his lights on. He's a, <laughs> he's a radio astronomer uh. and his wife is afraid of the dark. Oh no. <laughs> I've, I've become friends with him, but and I live with it, and he's given me permission to go unscrew his, uh, his lights when I'm out doing <laughs> or throw towels over them, which is what I do. Anyway, I had the telescope out, and I was trying to see something to the south, and I just couldn't see it. There's this haze glow over the telescope, and I realized it's the infrared coming off those lights bouncing onto the filter and into my night vision. And so you've got to close down all the infrared that might be bouncing around. Oh, also, I have a big bright infrared light out in my backyard that I like to use the night vision to light, light up the bunnies and the foxes as, as they come through. So the <laughs> night vision device is useful for other things, and that's how I got my wife interested in it. She loves to look at all the devices, all the animals out in the backyard at night. Oh and wow! So, so that's one one thing is, honey, you, you I'm going to buy this, and it's good for seeing animals at night. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I can um, I can make good use of that. <laughs> uh, I had I have this huge infrared light, and I couldn't figure out why the uh, all the wires were glowing in 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 the darkness, and I realized it was my infrared light bouncing off of them. And the night vision picking that up. I turned that off, and all of a sudden, I could now see the lagoon and the eagle and the like from my huh? backyard, huh. handheld with my night vision device. What about like uh, open and globular clusters? Yeah, that's, they really shine for open clusters. It can find those really dim ones. For for instance, um, one of my favorites is uh, Caroline's Rose up in uh, uh, Cassiopeia. Yeah. And it's really great at Oki Tech Star Party where it's bright and my 
10 uh, FI just at high power just fills the lens with this glorious, we, I call it the giant cinnamon roll because of all the dark lanes you can see in it. Wow. Well, I wanted to try to see it here. And without night vision, there's just, you cannot see it. And so the last few years I've been experiencing trying to find it. And last year, yes, I can find it with the night vision and the long pass uh, filter. I can actually see it. It's very tiny because at 13 power, it is a tiny object. But I can see it where you could not see it before. I've also taken my telescope to Bortle Foresight and Caroline's Rose was just just beautiful at 13 power with all the little tiny uh, stars in it. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing that again this year. And so on star clusters, uh, uh, when I just scan across the sky and you stand, scan across from, uh, say, Cygnus to uh, uh, Cassiopeia, you just find one after another and you go, wow, which one is that? And then you have to go look it up. <laughs> they are just amazing. I can see star clusters that generally don't have names that just have those NGC numbers. I find them now. Well, that's great. And then oh. globular clusters, you can actually, in my light pollution, I can see M13 and I can resolve the inner stars with it, with night vision where I could not without it. Wow. Dale, At least you, with using my 10, uh, my 16-inch uh, telescope. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, so you mentioned star clusters and open clusters and then on galaxies. I didn't talk about it. A lot of people say it's not good for galaxies. Well, it's not as good for galaxies, but imagine from a Bortle 7, Bortle 8 sky, looking up at Virgo and trying to see the Markarian chain. I can see almost all the stars in the Markarian chain in my 10 F3 scope. And the Leo triplet becomes a Leo quartet when you use two degrees night vision. There's two very dim magnitude nine, I think they are, or magnitude 8.5, uh, galaxies off to the side of the Leo triplet. And I can see all of those with night vision. Wow. So Dale, you, you kind of, I, I was going to ask a question and, and you sort of answered it and it was around galaxies. Cause earlier you mentioned that uh, sometimes galaxies are not the best for night vision. Is, is part of that just because of the low magnification you're using or is there other factors? Yes, but also galaxies don't let them, don't eliminate, uh, emit a lot of hydrogen alpha. Uh -huh. So you'll see the hydrogen alpha regions, which you won't see the, all the blue reflection nebulas that we have. You'll uh -huh. also see the light from their stars, but you only see the light of the ones that aren't so blue. And by the way, when you have the long pass filter on, uh, red carbon stars just really glow. They glow a lot brighter uh, than, than their normal magnitudes. And so they confuse you a little bit when you're looking at star charts, thinking that, gee, that, that one looks as bright as a mag three star, oh, but it's not, it's a, just a red carbon star. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. The other thing I need to mention though, is if you've ever tried to do star hopping from your backyard with a, uh, like a, like a 10 inch scope, that can be pretty hard. You're looking at the pocket sky atlas and you can only see oh, 10 percent of those stars. And so it makes it hard to figure out which 10 percent. When I put that night vision device in, I see every one of the stars in the in the pocket sky atlas and the view looks just like they show. And so I've learned to star hop so much easier. So, Dale, I got a <clears throat> I got a question. Notice that you you've got this uh, ten inch f three scope. In the uh, stuff I was reading online, seems like some people are using like Boren Simon f two point eights, or or some people even have tried using comet catchers like you and I have. Um, what's what's the advantage of of using such a fast telescope for night vision astronomy versus say something like a more traditional f five or f six scope? Yeah, starting at f five there starts to be not enough light even you know, when you put those filters on. Now, it probably works real well at uh, a dark site where you don't need the filters. But in light pollution, you've got to put those filters on, and then it turns out even F5 is starting to get 
little bit too slow to see the, just for instance, with my 10F3, the deepest magnitude star I can see is about a 7.52 mag 8. Okay. And, and the, I don't know, but I, I know you mentioned that F2.8 telescope, but I don't know what it is and, and oh. how and why it works. And then you mentioned this comet catcher, and I went, oh, yes, you know what? I should try that. The problem with the comet catcher is that sliding focuser mm. on mine probably can't handle that long stack. Uh, and, oh, as well as I don't have... Um, anything to get my night vision down to a one and a quarter inch focuser i'm always using it at two inch i i rebuilt mine so it has a helical focuser that can take uh, eye pieces that was the only thing about the comet catcher that got me eventually that focuser just doesn't stay stay set very well yeah. and uh, actually after it sat in the basement for 10 years i noticed there was a film inside the corrector that i had to take it out and uh, take the film off. Then I also noticed that the main mirror is not as good as it should be anymore. Yeah. yeah. But it helped me do the urban list. <laughs> well, so my other question is exit pupil. You're, you're talking about using a 55 millimeter Teleview Plossel on an F3 telescope. Now, that's typically something people won't do because you get this huge um, exit pupil. And when we were we were emailing back and forth, you you sort of explained a little bit more of the theory behind that. And I wonder if you could just kind of touch on that uh, briefly in our last few minutes here. Right, sure. If I had, if I try to look through that eyepiece visually and it's light out, my eye pupil is maybe five millimeters in diameter. I've forgotten what the I oh well dark adapted eye is five to seven millimeters in diameter, and the Except people on that F5 would be something like 20 millimeters in diameter. However, the entrance pupil of the night vision device itself is 20 millimeters. So it can see everything in the telescope and look, in effect, look around the diagonal. And so you don't see it. And that's a, a nice feature of the night vision device is then I can get my telescope down into a really low power ice telescope and have it be really wide field. I think its field of view is about three degrees. And that's rather amazing to think. Wow. Seeing in a, in a 10 inch telescope, seeing the moon is just being part of your view instead of the full view. Yeah. In fact, when we had the, um, the last uh, lunar eclipse, I actually, with a night vision device, I could see the eclipse of the star, I've forgotten what star it was at the time, but I saw the moon eclipse it with using the night vision, which I couldn't see with binoculars because the, the moon was so bright. Yeah. But now it had gotten so dim during the eclipse, it wasn't too bright for the night vision. And it was kind of interesting to see that star become eclipsed. Hmm. Very cool. Those are my last questions. Uh, Shane, do you have anything uh, else to add? No, no, no questions. Uh, I, I'll just uh, comment, and and this has been fascinating to me, Dale. Um, I've learned an awful lot about night vision. Uh, I was intrigued before we had this conversation, and now I'm I'm going to a, a couple levels higher than intrigued, whatever that might be. Uh, uh, I think we I'm never gonna... actually did get to the price. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, How about we finish there? The yeah. So before the pandemic, I don't know what it is now, but before mm -hmm. the pandemic. It cost me about four and a half thousand dollars for the whole complete kit, four and a half to five thousand. When I bought, I had to buy the t the lens. I had to buy the night vision. I even had to buy a lens to go on the front of the night vision. We talked about the Mod C three having uh, it, it has a C mount on the lens, and you put C mount lenses on the front of it. Actually, we didn't even talk about that part of it. Um, I can then put night uh, can put Nikon old 35 millimeter Nikon manual lenses on the end of it, and I put like a 50 millimeter lens on the end. And since the night vision has a 25 millimeter eyepiece, I now get a two power telescope. I can put a 100 millimeter lens on, which I do quite frequently. Nikon lens, 100 millimeter f1.3, I think it is, 
and they can be had pretty cheaply because they're not popular for the digital side. But there were millions of them made, and there's millions of them still around and on eBay. You can get them for like about 50 bucks, and they will take with an adapter. You can put a two millimeter filter on the lint on the front, and that's basically how I use the use it handheld. That gives me a uh, about a three uh, x tels three power telescope with a, something like 20 or 10 millimeter. I keep forgetting what the field of view is, but with that view, I can see Vail in North America and the crescent all in the same field of view when I'm hand holding at my driveway, looking up at the sky. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> so about four and a half thousand us dollars is, is what yes. you, uh, paid to get set up. So likely a little bit more, like you mentioned, due to now, you know, availability. really penny pinching, you can build your own from your own selected tube. All of that can be cheaper. You can do it, do it yourself. I haven't tried to do that. I decided I had more money than I had time. <laughs> and uh, since I'm retired and not spending all my money, I decided to buy some toys. Nice. Yeah. I love I, it. Here in Canada, they they started about 3500 and run up to about $8,000. So and there's, yes, the, there's, there's a huge variety of options and that sort of thing. I'm guessing some probably work better for this sort of stuff than others. So people are going to have to do their own digging, I think. Right. I, I priced out the the European uh, binoculars and it was close to about 9,000 I would have to spend. Mm. Very good. Well, uh, Dale, do you have any other, that, that was great. Thanks for hopping in and giving us the pricing. We nearly forgot. Um, no, I can't think of any. And uh, I dropped down. I used to have my email up here where I would remind me, but I don't have it up anymore. <laughs> I think oh. we've hit everything. I'm not sure we did enough to convince people, but I hope so. Um, really, we're talking about seeing things and we really need pictures of those things. And that's why I did send you quite a few. I, I have a whole bunch more others I could send. But in reality, uh, Mike Lockwood's site has even better pictures. Most of my pictures, I didn't really make a point of it, is vision is even better than those pictures most yeah. all the time. Sometimes the pictures are brighter because it had a two second exposure compared to what your eye sees but the detail is much better from your from your eye your brain your brain takes away quite a few things and you see more there are people on the cloudy nights who really look for the most perfect vision a perfect device they can find and so you'll find lots and lots of um talks about What's the best one to buy? And is this spec good or is that spec good? In reality, as U.S. citizens, we're not even allowed to post the specs. Oh, wow. And so uh, we have to be kind of cagey about what the specs are for the device. Okay. Well, thanks so much for uh, for educating us in this in this today, uh, Dale. I, I certainly found it fascinating as somebody who loves uh, wide field and and large nebulae. This this seems like uh, like a device right up my alley. Um, and right. I hadn't even paid attention to the large field. I used to kind of hate it. Wanting I wanted to see the stars in M13 in great detail. And then I heard something about the heart and soul nebulae, and I I looked to see them on the map. And said, oh, no, that's too big for my telescope, and I can't see it in my telescope. And then I got night vision, and I was actually scanning up. Uh, from the double cluster and I came across this stuff and I went, what the heck is that? <laughs> and I realized, oh, it's the soul. Oh, it's the heart. <laughs> I can see it all now. Wow. And those were two or three degree stuff. Yeah. Good. Well, well, thanks so much for sharing all this with us today, Dale. Um, we certainly appreciate it. And uh, at this time we'll conclude. I'll thank our sure. listeners for listening and uh, Dale does have a YouTube channel. You can find him at D-A-L-E-E-A-S-O-N on YouTube. He also has some, uh, some of his software up on, uh, on GitHub, GitHub and is on the Clydonites Night Vision Astronomy and Telescope Making Forums. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks to everybody who's listening. Thank you. Thank you, everyone listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, 
would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>